the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. It is a bounce back day from a couple days of sellers off. Markets having a good year, not a great year, but they're just dealing with the coronavirus and how will that spread into Asia, throughout Asia, throughout supply chains and semiconductors, and throughout the hotel leisure industry pretty aggressively. We don't know the answers. Will it be a little bit? Will it be a lot? Will it fade into summer? Will it come back next year? But today we're saying fears are lingering. Uh, the number of infections in the Wuhan province for two straight days kind of went sideways down. But again, we're trusting numbers that how do you know the exact count, I think is fair to say. U.S. home construction numbers were a little bit positive and a little bit negative. The positive was tied towards the permits going forward. Disney's ESPN Plus has more than quadrupled its subscriber base. I bring this up in large part because we saw Disney Plus, and yesterday there was a big story about how Disney Plus is going to be launching into India, and it's going to add another 6 million subscribers. They had 25 million in the first couple of weeks in the United States. Boom, they're catching Netflix or something like that is the story Wall Street wants to do. But there's another one, ESPN Plus. Um, it's growing a young – they're going for young fans. A lot of um, the multi-boxing – Matches MMA, um, where they kill each other. <laughs> Blood sport. Blood sport. Two go in, one come out. Um, but Disney's ESPN Plus and even Hulu, <clears throat> um, I'm not going to say they're secret tools of ESPN at this point in time or of uh, ESPN who's owned by Disney. It certainly feels like they've got some pretty good momentum. So they about a year ago they had 1.4 million subscribers on ESPN Plus. Now they got 7.6 million, 7.6 million here, 6 million in India, 25 on Disney Plus. You can kind of see that it's starting that up. Uh, Microsoft is coming out with a new Xbox this year. I want to remind you that their Xbox 360 had one of the biggest recalls in the history of recalls. The console's success, it's it's it's. It's positive. You can't say a lot negative about Microsoft's Xbox. You can split hairs and say the Sony PlayStation does just this much processing power for. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But when Microsoft announced they're going to get into game consoles, a lot of people are like, oh, blue screen and death. We don't want that when we're playing video games. But what they had was the red, red ring of death. It was one of the largest consumer electronic history recalls ever, over a billion plus dollars. And what they did was they fixed it correctly, and they did the recall. And it was costly, but they did it correctly. You might remember it uh, throughout the history, like Tylenol, back in the 1970s. Someone tampered with Tylenol and put poison on them. People were taking poison and dying. Do you even remember that? 
Probably not. And do you even remember that Microsoft had a massive Xbox recall? You may, you may, but you probably don't. I throw that out there because brands are effective at uh, managing their image. And some brands are, and some brands aren't. Like Uber, for instance, they had a CEO who was out of control, kind of a, a man culture, a bro culture. Um, some of the stories that I heard were like, you know, corporate events in Vegas that just got out of hand on the debauchery. And that's all I'm going to say. But uh, they bring in a new CEO. They go public eventually. And one of the things they did in the three to five years before they went public, and a friend of mine works for Uber, um, they hired a lot of people. And now what they're doing is they hired a lot of people to kind of fool Wall Street. Look at our great revenue growth, our great, you know, we're losing a ton of money, but we're growing. And one day we're going to turn that off. <laughs> and they're turning off the cost of labor now. They're slowly but surely trimming employees. Uber's closing its Los Angeles office, reportedly laying off about 80 staff members. Now, you figure out Los Angeles, average person probably makes 120000 times 80 staff members, and you can see why companies do this. The biggest cost of business is, is labor. Uber has reportedly cold more than 1,000 workers since going public in May. Uber's revised its own estimate for when it will become profitable from the 2021 to the fourth quarter of 2020. Wall Street kind of likes to see that, you know, demon known. Okay, you're going to lose money for the next three quarters, but you can make money in four quarters. Okay, 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 we can work with that, we can work with that. Um, I bring it up in large part because Uber shows you that corporations can manage things. Corporations, to me, are they're defined by the IRS as people. And if you look at a company and you just think it's static, that's where you get into trouble. And Microsoft's a great example of that. In the 80s and 90s, if you invest in Microsoft, it did nothing but go up. Then they got into some antitrust issues, and they didn't hit an all-time high for a long time. Um, sometimes companies can manage through that disaster, and sometimes they can't. So um, Uber is a really good example right now of a company that is, they over-promised with their IPO, which I don't really like this story because I kind of know what it's about of them firing people, is by them hiring them, they, they kind of you know spiked their numbers. They kind of juiced their numbers. So if you're with me, I don't know. Housing starts drop, but building permits near a 13-year high. Anytime I see numbers like 13-year high on any economic data, it, it worries me. Because it, it tells me a lot of people are running there. So U.S. home building fell less than expected in January. Permits surged to a 13-year high, pointing to sustained housing market strength. That could help the longest economic expansion in the United States. Oh, I loved it the other day. Uh, Barack Obama and Donald Trump are fighting over who takes credit for the, the economy. Dueling presidents. It's a, a pit of death. Two go in, one come out. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Samsung has a contract, a 5G chip contract with Qualcomm. It's going to help them diversify their revenue streams. One of the things the coronavirus is hopefully teaching you is something along the lines of how businesses operate. Um, Apple sources a lot of their manufacturing from Asia because it's cheaper. It's not a surprise. Maybe it's because they do the jobs Americans don't want to do. Maybe it's because they have more technology. I don't know what the excuse is. But 
that's the fact, Jack. And a lot of people are learning about supply chain and, and diversification. Qualcomm is one of the four major players in the 5G space, along with MediaTek, Samsung, and Huawei. It supplies chips to many of the world's leading smartphone manufacturers, including Apple, Samsung, and Xiaomi. The X60 is a new product that's going to find its way into a lot of flagship 5G devices, probably starting in 2021. So uh, it's fair to say that the newly announced X60 modem chip it's compatible with both sub six frequencies and uh, nanometer waves. Qualcomm's still a good play, even if Apple has kind of suffered a bit. Qualcomm will still be able to sell all their product into Samsung, but again, Qualcomm does have manufacturing also in um, China, but they also have a relationship with Samsung that has a lot of memory chip manufacturing in South Korea. So it's interesting how the, the I'm not going to say the pieces are lining up. I like both Qualcomm and Apple, and I own both as 5G plays. Um, haven't really played with MediaTek in any way, shape, or form. I get it. There's other ways of playing it, but not for me. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Don't forget, check me out also at newfocusfinancial.com. There's a lot of great downloads. Seminars coming up or posted there. I'm Rob Black. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. So a little bit of color on some of the stories, stocks of the day. Tesla price start, it was boomed up. Piper Sandler. Raised its price target on Tesla to $928 from $729. Very odd numbers. One that ends in two eight, one that ends in two nine. I'm not saying that what looks weird, but it looks a little weird. We don't have to panic about it. It's not like it's gonna be on the next episode of Stranger Things. Price target change in weird numerical ways. Ultimately, management says the solar plus storage business will one day rival the automotive segment. And if this is true, <laughs> that investors will eventually need to pay attention. Um, that's an interesting con- concept. Real quick there. I've got a neighbor who's got solar. I don't have solar. In the next question, when will my neighbor put in a solar you know, backpack generator so that it stores the solar energy on his property? He doesn't have to sell it back. So if there's an outage, he's got power and he doesn't have to worry about PG&E. And when do I get that device? I can see I can see the argument that Piper Sandler's trying to make that Tesla's in front of this, and um, you know eventually the Rob Blacks will cave. Eventually everyone will have an electric vehicle. I don't think that's foreseeable future, but it's not out of the, the, the sanity realm of sanity in the United States. NVIDIA, um, GPU company, graphics processing unit is the basic idea, a little bit different than the CPU number crunching monster that is Intel. It's not that simple, but let's keep it that simple for sake of radio. Melanix, big acquisition. Um, Bernstein, analyst, Stacey Rosgun 
raised the NVIDIA price target to 360 from 300 on basically a good acquisition, ultimately hitting the bottom line. It's interesting, the Department of Justice is opening up an investigation to all, not all tech companies. You probably know who they are. But the big ones will affect the small ones. The Microsofts, the Apples, the Alphabet Googles, um, the Amazons, the acquisitions that they've done, the small ones. The Department of Justice has recently done this. They're looking back at the last 10 years. Now, they're not going to overturn any of those. It would be very difficult to rip people back and say, okay, you bought a company that was a teeny tiny 10-person ship company in uh, Israel. So now we want all 10 of those people back in in the real world, and you have to forget their intellectual property. They're not going to erase the last 10 years. They're going to learn from it and try to figure out if Microsoft, Apple, Google, Alphabet, Amazon, um, if they're acquiring companies in a cruel way to basically stop their competition from ever having anything for, for sure, for real, that could actually compete with them. You know, an, an excellent example would be Facebook. <clears throat> they've bought companies that compete directly with other companies, and they've tried to buy, buy the, those companies as well. Back in the day, we were looking at Microsoft a lot, but you don't see a lot of aggressive Microsoft acquisitions at this point in time. So anyway, um, it is interesting the Department of Justice might go forward and say, okay, we're not going to let Apple buy a super secret, you know, super fast semiconductor company. And I, I don't think that would be good. But then again, it's tough to argue that you know these five companies, the Microsofts, the Apples, the Googles, um, that they're not, you know, on some level – Huge, monolithic, right? 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. You want a speculative stock? You saw Tesla go through the the world of Tesla? Well, Virgin Galactic stock has now more than tripled in the past three months. It's up 223%. Man, anything Richard Branson touches ultimately turns to gold. Um, Virgin Air in the United States being bought by Alaska Airlines, I think, what a cop. I mean, he just brought that in, smacked it up, did a good job, sold it. He had to because uh, foreign ownership kind of rural kicked in on the airlines, but that's neither here nor there. So Virgin Galactic's rally began two months ago. It's more speculative than the one that Tesla's got going because Virgin Galactic's about sending me and you up to space as a tourist. And right now, our best friends aren't doing that. Ticker symbol is SPCE, SPCE. You heard me talk about it last week. Um, two weeks ago, as Tesla kind of started getting in the news again, people are looking for the next Tesla, and it's Virgin Galactic. The stock has only been trading for a few months, and I think the only thing that I've seen out of them, you know, some headlines about setting a base in New Mexico. But I think at one point in time, Richard Branson brought, like, three good-looking models and himself um, dressed up in new astronaut space uh, uh, suits. And uh, what was interesting about it is... Uh, it was kind of like a little fashion show. And you're like, this has really nothing to do with space, does it? Oh, no, these would be the actual ones used going to Mars. And like, okay. But it looked more like a fashion show. It was a little odd for me. Um, anyway, Virgin Galactic uh, versus Tesla. It's very, very different. Tesla has product. Virgin Galactic, uh, 162% jump since the beginning of the year. Tops Tesla's 105%. Both companies are bets on future technologies. Tesla's focused on electric vehicles and batteries, future the uh, future energy of, of the world. Virgin Galactic's developing space tourism. Um, wow. I 
hate to even say this because it sounds grim, but Avenue 5 on HBO is a new show, and it's got that English guy who played that Dr. Grumpy guy, House. And uh, it's a pretty funny show. It's um, it's about space tourism. A big old rocket goes up in space, and it's basically a hotel, and it's going to circle to do a four-day trip around the moon or something like that. And, of course, everything goes haywire, and it's hilarious. It's a comedy on HBO. But I don't think that's a shot at Virgin Galactic. And at, I think it's a shot at commercialization of space. And, you know, the people who are leading it are Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos and um, Elon Musk. So those are our space pioneers. Some people get really upset at space, at spending money on space. Like, don't we have enough problems here on Earth? Uh, but a lot of great technologies come out of solving the problems in space. For instance, the digital watch on your hand started in, you know, NASA needing a more reliable clock because gravity did funky things as it ticked around versus being digital. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. It is an interesting time on Wall Street because we're kind of learning as we're watching the coronavirus the stock market will sell off, but rally right back and sell off and rally right back. So the fears yesterday were greater. The fears today less. Um, yesterday was Monday. I feel like we get a lot of, I don't want to say negative news, but we, got a, we get a lot of news that we can't respond to on the weekends. And when you're talking about pandemic, epidemic, um, you get into a situation where, um, the, 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 the morning news shows on Saturday and Sunday, they need guests. So they're not going to get just the positive ones. They're not going to get the really negative ones too. So we can, can kind of get on a, a news curve. It can get kind of funky on Fridays to Mondays. So anyhow, and anyway, I'm Rob Black talking to all things financial Disney plus Wells Fargo is saying that their foray into India will prove a lucrative. Interesting. There's no stopping the mouse. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. Welcome back in. Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black. It's an interesting start to the year. We are halfway through February. So the year is moving quickly. Let's bring in Patrick O'Hare from briefing.com. Patrick writes at least a couple of articles and contributes a ton of content and information, starting with his page one article each and every day. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, Rob. I'm doing well. Good to be back with you. Good to have you. Um, I don't think we've done much in the last week or so, just kind of hanging in there. Um, that seems to be the story of the year. We get a little bit ahead. The coronavirus pulls us back. We get a little bit down. The capitalism pulls us forward. Um, is there any other trend other than that? Am I missing anything? No, I pretty much wrapped it up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, Turn off the lights. Yeah, I mean, you have a, a market that's kind of been on cruise control, um, you know, all things considered. Uh, and it's been really remarkable, frankly, in terms of the resilience. You know, when you go back even to start off with the whole – geopolitical conflict with, with Iran and and then of course the coronavirus and then uh you know in between you know the talk of you know Senator Sanders kind of uh, gaining in popularity and and turning into the presumptive you know nominee I, I get it it's still early but 
but knowing how the market had previously viewed his his candidacy and and what it could potentially imply if, uh, for for the stock market itself, or Mr. Sanders elected president, you can see that the you know the market just kind of keeps trading through uh, you know all of this and is discounting you know um, the idea that that you know worst case scenarios in its mind you know are not going to come to fruition, and so um, so you've, you've had a rally this year. I think that has also just has a lot of people. Um, it's been somewhat fearful, frankly, of missing out on another big move. We had a huge move, obviously, in 2019, and lo and behold, you see the market stand up yet again in the face of these negative um, uh, narratives, and, uh, and 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 it still presses higher. And I think you have people worried about being underweighted or underexposed to this equity market uh, if you know on the assumption that interest rates are going to stay very low, uh, and uh, and stocks are going to continue to press higher because of that. Kind of on the same topic of stocks are finding a reason to go higher, and I, you don't have to have an opinion on this. <clears throat> but you and I, you and I have seen the younger generation embrace things like Robinhood. Um, super easy to buy stocks. Things like LearnVest, super easy to buy and sell stocks. Um, what's your opinion? Does that pose a risk to the markets? Because there's kind of an overcrowding. A friend of mine showed me. She's a young woman. She showed me her app, and it, it literally gave her like eight stocks she could buy, and it was literally Visa, Apple. It was just the the names that you would expect. Um, so not a lot of diversity in her portfolio, but she's in. Are you worried that we're accumulating too much and not distributing as much as we used to? Well, I, I think if there's any potential for conflict there, it's just in how it gets marketed to a younger generation frankly okay. you know this this idea that obviously we're in a, in a raging bull market right now you know and so you kind of can can walk away with a sense that you'll never lose um, you know having said that um, there's obviously a ton of history that suggests that you know careful long-term investing can be a great generator of wealth and so okay. I think it is good good to get you know, younger generation in tune with this idea that um, you know you you can do quite well with a patient mindset, uh, investing in in good companies that are profitable that pay a dividend, um, and and just staying the course. But if it's kind of you know targeted at them as kind of like look at what's going on with Tesla, right? You know, it's up fifty percent in two very years, widely held. Right? <laughs> yeah, and and you get. You know, you get people reacting to that, and it turns into more of like a casino-like type of approach. Um, you know, that's where I think you do some some generational damage, really. And as uh, so, it, I you know would hope that you know uh, these fintech companies and and companies that you know um, are catering to a younger generation uh, are, are are mindful of uh, and responsible with their marketing message in terms of really. Uh, the benefits of the stock market and long-term investing, as opposed to, um, while also pointing out some of the, the perils that come with day trading and and, uh, and and momentum investing. Thank you. Um, to me, it's just very interesting because I, I I see these little nuggets on occasion, like millennials' number one stock that they own is Tesla, or millennial app will say that. And uh, I'm like, that can't be good. <laughs> it's always like, here's the most speculative, come here. Um, and it's it's eye candy. But anyhow, I'm not going to dwell too much on that. Um, back to the markets. Um, saw a little bit of economic activity on housing starts. Is is that enough for the markets right now? Is that something we can hang our hats on? 
Yeah, you know, I think um, I mean the press, you know, might might focus just on the you know the month over month decline, but frankly, you were you were comparing to an extremely strong month in, in December as it related to housing starts, and so a modest pullback in January really, you know, shouldn't be taken as a negative, and especially when you kind of look at things on a year over year basis, um, you know, housing starts are up, you know, quite significantly. Um, and, uh, you know, 21% year over year. You also have building permits, which are a leading indicator. Uh, they actually were up month to month in January, and they were up, you know, almost 18% year over year. So, so you definitely have some good trends unfolding, I think, within the within the uh, housing market, certainly. Uh, and, you know, the issue, of course, has always been that, um, you know, home sales could be stronger if you had, you know, more supply. And because you have limited supply, you've got really high prices that are kind of squeezing out, you know, new home buyers. And, and so it's good to see that you're seeing a, a pickup in starts activity. And I'll, I'll point out to your listeners that, the you know, the three-month moving average for starts is at its highest level right now since January of 2007. Um, and, uh, you know, and that, that's a good thing as it relates to the supply-demand uh, dynamic that has been imbalanced here. And so, you know, hopefully that can uh, uh, create a little more relief on the pricing front. And if you continue to see the persistence of low mortgage rates, you can get some nice um, traction going as it relates to a pickup in uh, both new and existing home sales. And finally, I want to highlight your piece every day that you start with, page one. It's something I read. It's religious for me. Um, it's relaxing for me. You, you talk about the Federal Reserve and talk about inflation. How do you feel that the market's understanding of what the Federal Reserve is doing, in your opinion? Well, I think the market's understanding is that it, that the Fed is its friend, um, and I think the you know Chairman Powell and, and some of his colleagues have kind of really haven't you know created any other impression other than to lead the market to think that the Fed is you know likely to be on hold for an extended period of time, and you know that they're they're kind of going to let you know inclined to let inflation run above that that two percent target because they want inflation to average two percent on the same basis. So when you get strong data um, and even inflation data, you know the market doesn't wig out because it knows the Fed isn't going to uh, quote wig out you know either and and turn around and raise rates right away. So uh, so there's little question in my mind that the the stock market's strong start to this year and really the strong finish to last year has been predicated also in large part on the understanding that the Fed's not going to be running interference with a rate hike anytime soon. Sounds good. Have a very good day, sir. Get back to work. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com giving us market perspective each and every Wednesday at this time. He moved from 20 years on Tuesday to Wednesdays recently, so I hope you're aware of that. We post a lot of his content <clears throat> We separate it out and post it on my Facebook pages, but you can also find him at briefing.com. That's briefing.com. It's a source of information that I've been using for over 20 years. It's a good source of information. I'm not paid to say that. I can just tell you, I'm, you're going to do no wrong. Um, and that's kind of an important thing. Information in the world of finances and doing getting good information versus bad. Um, a lot of people like annuities because they're the way they're sold. Hey, it protects your downside and it limits your upside. It doesn't say it limits your upside, but why ensure the downside of the market should be the question when the market hits all time high seven out of 10 years, you know, it's almost like you buying insurance on a product that probably isn't going to break. I'm talking into a microphone right now that doesn't have a lot of moving parts. 
Um, but when I bought it, they're like, hey, that's an expensive microphone. You want to buy an extra one-year warranty on it? Probably not a good idea. Same thing with buying annuities is you're buying insurance in case the market goes down. Now, again, if you're a super scaredy cat person, just don't buy stocks or buy value stocks or income stocks or buy bonds. Buy, you don't have to buy, say, well, I'm scared the market's going to go down, so I better pay for insurance on that. Your insurance company probably covers your car rental. And yet they, they, they have a big business of saying, do you want to buy rental insurance for the next three days at $27? It covers everything. And you're like, ooh. Even though your insurance covers it, you're like, at, you get that like last second, ooh. And uh, you kind of make some mistakes. So annuities, the reason that they're bad is you're buying insurance on your, your investments. And you could just cut down the volatility on yours, or you could just look at the fact that investments are up 7 out of 10 years. Now, if you're a bad picker of investments, that's a whole nother question. Oh, guess what we just heard? I don't know if this will be the, the biggest you know, issue for Boeing, um, but a documentary is being made about the company that's coming to the small screen. Brian Glazer and Ron Howard's Imagine Entertainment is teaming up with filmmaker Rory Kennedy to produce a series about the 737 MAX jet. It's going to be based on first-person accounts of people affected by the two deadly crashes that killed 346 people. When that documentary hits, it's going to be bad publicity for Boeing. It'll probably be as bad as it gets. That's why, you know, lawyers will tell you, hey, the worst of it's over. You had your bad night, and, you know, we got this going forward. Just pay me a lot of money. When the bad publicity hits, it's okay. Howard's won a lot of um, Academy Awards, Oscars, for his film, A Beautiful Mind. And how, anyhow, anyway, um, let's go to break. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, more. You can find me online at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. So I'm always looking for social trends. And the bottom line here is I'm going to talk quickly about how media is changing. i got to pipe down the music a little bit. So media is changing pretty quickly. In this year's election cycle, we're seeing it a little bit more. I think maybe four years ago, we learned about fake news or propaganda on Facebook. Don't trust anything. I don't know what we learned. That felt like the message I was getting. This year, Bloomberg slipped one on us. The meme election. If I'm an influencer, and I'm not an influencer, but if I were – Someone on YouTube, someone on Twitter, someone on Twitch, someone on the social media world that says, you know, I'm beautiful. And here's the lipstick that I'm going to go buy today because my lips are beautiful. And then a lot of women with non-beautiful lips and with beautiful lips go buy the same lipstick. Basic basic thought on an influencer. Ninja playing a video game, you know, drinking Jolt Cola. This is the the soda that, you know... uh, a Fortnite warrior has to drink, and this is the joystick. Um, so Bloomberg campaign did something kind of interesting. A flurry of paid ads by Bloomberg. We've seen them on TV, but they're not. My kids don't watch TV. My kids aren't voting age yet, but a lot of 18 to 30s, they watch YouTube. They watch other platforms for their entertainment. Uh, Mixer. But there was one called Kale Salad. 
And uh, talk about Bloomberg. There was there's someone named Kale Salad, and I guess it's a I guess it's a LinkedIn account, Instagram account, Twitter account that basically pretends to be a salad. And um, you know, the joke was something along the lines of. Uh, Michael Bloomberg is like kale salad, tough and tasteless, but ultimately good for you. Now, again, I don't want to get into the politics of it, but this was a good election year to be an influencer because basically Bloomberg just legitimized younger people who have eyeballs, read memes, read, you know, if you can win an election by being compared to salad or get your awareness out there. The influencers just have to, I mean, <clears throat> I know a lot of influencers do have agents, but the influencers all have to be rubbing their hands together like, ah, gold, do you see this gold? Uh, young voters are not seeing TV ads. That's the whole point here. Purely for impressions and eyeballs, influencers can be a huge market. Spending on television ad campaigns during this ad cycle has already topped $435 million. Of that $435 million, $230 million has been spent by Bloomberg. So in future elections, I imagine memes might be the way, you know, we can skip watching the debates. Oh, there was a weird story out, just FYI. So apparently, speaking of debates, Nixon had a famous debate where he sweated. He had just a massive flop sweat. They thought that it was the first time that television ruined a potential presidential candidate uh, because he couldn't control his image. On Before that, when we didn't have a lot of TV, a lot of cable channels, a lot of Internet, um, you know, you'd read about the candidate. You'd see pictures of him in the newspaper. So now we're getting to the point where you can just flip through uh, your news feed and Facebook, your news feed and Twitter, see a meme and go, oh, that's the one I like because my funny meme writer likes that one. And that gets into more disclosures on <clears throat> do memes have to be disclosed as political spending? Um, do they have to be disclosed as this ad was paid for by Michael Bloomberg? You know what's crazy about the Michael Bloomberg ads? There's just so many of them. It's You can't get away from it. And again, it's, it's, it is what it is. Warren Buffett's annual shareholder letter to be closely watched to see what the CEO of Berkshire Hathaway has to say about a range of issues. People, you know, they, they split hairs. They, they want to hear what he has to say about, aren't you old and are going to die? Who's going to replace you? Stock repurchases, dividends, acquisitions, the environment, the company's lagging stock price, what it's going to do with its long-term holding Wells Fargo that has just not been moving. So Berkshire holders are going to be looking for that carefully. I'm a big fan of Warren Buffett. If you could read his market letters, I think he becomes smarter. If you could watch a couple of interviews on him, I don't I can't imagine I've ever watched an interview on him and gone, oh no, that's just horrible. I hope no one ever sees that. That's just bad. So you want to up your game today and you're going to lunch by yourself? It's okay to go to lunch by yourself. Get your AirPods and put them in your ears and YouTube some Warren Buffett videos. And again, that kind of ties back to this whole segment of um, during lunch, you're going to be using YouTube. You're going to be using Apple Music. You're going to be using Spotify. Uh, the ABCs, NBC, CBS is the typical uh, clear channels and the, the different vehicles are all shifting. 
and again, I think it's smart of Bloomberg to go after the, the meme uh, influencers per se. My kids aren't going to see anything on SportsCenter. They didn't want like it's it's not even an option. Bank of America is now Buffett's number one bank. I always like uh, Buffett. He got into Apple quite late, but when he did, he was like, "I get it. Everyone has one of these in their hands." And you don't really need to say much more than that. He's not investing for one week or one day or one month. He's not investing for one coronavirus or a SARS or a, uh, Ebola. He's, he's investing through them all. So he did pair some position in Apple, but it was very, very small, and it was to help buy other positions. Um, so what's interesting about Warren Buffett's information that he discloses in his annual letter He'll talk a lot about Geico, which tells us a lot about the insurance industry. He'll talk about Burlington Northern, which tells us about a lot of the, the trains and the uh, infrastructure and the import out, exports in the United States. Um, his Berkshire Hathaway Energy, he's got a real estate company. Um, there's a lot to garner from his, uh, his, his letter, but again, it's not sports center. It's not entertainment for the sake of entertainment. You're not going to hear any high C notes. You can find me online at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. As an investor, I want you to cut down on your mistakes. I want you to educate yourself. There's some really good podcasts out there, including my partner, CFP, Chad Burton. You can go to newfocusfinancial.com and start signing up for his podcast. Very educational. I'm Rob Black.